So this week I had the privilege of going to uh, Purdue University for the what, what's called the Presbyterian Youth Triennium. And what that is, is it's a, it's a every three years, um, Presbyterian youth from all over the world, um, but who are part of the Presbyterian Church USA, which is our denomination, the Cumberland Presbyterian Church, which is another Presbyterian denomination, primarily in the South, and the Cumberland Presbyterian Church in America, which is, which is part of that the same denomination, but is traditionally an African-American um, denomination. We all come together um, from all over the world, and about 5,000 um, 5, of us, youth and adults, are there for uh, about four days. And Purdue University has hosted this, apparently, from the very beginning. Um, it happens every three years. I think, it's, I think this is the 12th one, so it's been 36 years. And, and uh, just what you... What, what you saw in the interaction that we were having right, right here, uh, John, is, um, it, this is, this is that's just like dealing with teenagers. So just know that you're getting good training for later. Because, uh, you, know, you know, like, hey guys, we're going this way. And they're like, no, I want to get coffee. I wanna... Yeah, that's what, that's what teenagers do. So, you know, you're, 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 you're getting good training. Absolutely. Um, but... But what we, what we see, and I, I had responsibility, uh, we, we, took, we took a group from the Presbytery of the James here, which is our Presbytery, and, and there, were, there were 24 youth in our, uh, in our little contingent, and then uh, there were eight boys, the rest girls, there was one male um, adult uh, advisor, we still don't know where, if he showed up or not, I kept getting demoted from adult advisor for some reason because the other the other ones were three three females and of course they were very responsible and I'm a guy so that's just um how it went but I had responsibility for the eight gentlemen and as is as we know in every aspect of our lives communication is crucial knowing where you're supposed to be what you're supposed to be doing you know, responding when you're supposed to, all of those sorts of things is, is very important. And I reflected this week so much on how much we, we talk about, you know, the younger generation and their cell phones and, and, and all of that sort of thing. But I'll tell you what, it was really great to be able to say to those eight boys, you know, as long as you have a buddy, you can go wherever you want, and just not off the campus um, during the free time, but make sure your phone's on and that you get my texts. Because then they could go roam, and they were safe with each other, as far as we knew, and they could get me if they, if they needed me immediately, and I could get them. And so I, I was really thinking, like, 25 years ago, what a nightmare that might have been, trying to communicate and to get people to actually show up on time and in different places and, 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 and that sort of thing. So, I mean, communication is just so key in, in every relationship that we have. And again, this week, it was just, it was just made so clear to me. In, in every worship service um, that we had, in, in every interaction, in every announcement, um, we would often go back and evaluate whether or not they communicated the message very well to us or not. How the worship flowed, um, how the preacher preached, all of that sort of thing. And it was just, I was reminded very much so about how important it is um, and I might not be doing a very good job this morning because I've had like three hours of sleep, but um, to, to, have, to have the communication done well, as best you can, because some of our preachers, 
it was just, it was sort of like you didn't know where they were coming from and where they were going, and then they'd drop a bomb in the middle of it, and you're like, where did that come from? Um, and so I really understood probably what some of you experience on a Sunday morning. <laughs> so just, just know that I, I, have, I have compassion for you. Um, and, so, and so it's interesting to me that, that then in the Scripture, you know, we have this, um, we know that Jesus communicated with, with the one that he called Father on a regular basis. He prayed on a regular basis in, in, in very much a one-on-one kind of communication with God the Father. And, and so the disciples, those who followed him, saw that. They saw that communication. And I'm sure they wondered about it. And the tradition in, in that time was that rabbis or teachers they would, in the Jewish tradition, would often teach their disciples certain ways of praying that reflected what their teaching was, what the core of their teaching was. So I often say to people, if you want to know about the core of Jesus' teaching, go a couple of places if you want, a, you know, sort of a longer thing. One is just go to the Lord's Prayer. Two is just listen to his answer when he says, What's, what are the greatest commandments? Which you all know, because we've been going through those like crazy this year. And then three, go to the Beatitudes. Or go to the Sermon on the Mount. Or the Sermon on the Plain in Matthew and Luke. Those are the core of, of his teaching. And so, um, today we're focusing on, I'm going to read the scripture um, right now. This is from Luke chapter 11. Um, It's verses 1 through 13. And so Jesus was praying in a certain place. And after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John taught his disciples. So he's referencing John the baptizer. That John had his followers and he apparently had had taught them to pray as well. And so Jesus said to them, when you pray, say this. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. And do not bring us to the time of trial. And then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him at midnight, and you say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. For a friend of mine has arrived, and I have nothing to set before him. And your friend answers from within, Do not bother me. The door has already been locked, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, at least because of his persistence he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Search, and you will find. Knock. And the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who searches finds. And everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for a fish, will give a snake instead of a fish? Or if the child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? 
It's Jesus' teaching on prayer, at least in this section in Luke. It's also recorded in Matthew, which, which gives a little bit of a longer version of the same prayer. Uh, just remember when you're looking at the, the Gospels that you're getting four different, sort of a kaleidoscope look at, at what Jesus taught. Um, and so you get a little bit of a different version. But it is, it really is a great foundational piece uh, the Lord's Prayer. What was interesting this week, and this is something that, that we talked about on the bus on the way, on the way home last night, I, I, asked, I asked the youth, and they, these are all Presbyterian youth, and most of them go to, again, very traditional um, churches, um, Presbyterian churches, and even if they have quote-unquote contemporary services or informal services like ours, I said to them, I said, what's the one thing we didn't do this week in worship that you do in your church that all of us do in our church almost every single week. And it didn't take them very long to figure out what it was. They hadn't really noticed it, but then they went, yeah, that's really weird. We never prayed the Lord's Prayer. I found that really odd out of like five worship services that we never, we never prayed the Lord's Prayer because I thought 5,000 people saying the Lord's Prayer at the same time would have been really, really cool, would have been very, very powerful. I have no idea what the decision was behind that. I don't even know if they thought about it, whatever, but I just thought it was very interesting because the Lord's Prayer is, very, is, central, um, is central to our faith and our practice. The sermon series that we've been talking about is centered on God. And today is talking about prayer, as you've already noted, that a life centered on God has, has prayer also at the center of it somehow because it draws us it draws us closer and closer to God. I've often used the example, you know, if you're in a relationship with someone, a loving, deeply committed relationship, and, and all you do is communicate with God one hour a week, um, you know, at a particular time, I don't think that relationship is bound to last very long. We, we have a need to be in deep communication with each other, but especially then with God. If we're going to nurture this relationship that God has with us and we have with God, um, it's incumbent upon us to have some sort of, of centering prayer practice in our lives. Pray daily is one of the marks of discipleship that we talk about here, one of the six marks of discipleship that we, that we encourage people to strive in. Again, it's not that by praying you're going to become super Christian or, or, or you know, the, the prayer ninja American warrior or whatever they were saying there. You know, that, that's, that's not what it's about, it's, but it's about cultivating and and continuing in this relationship that we have with God. And it's also about changing us. It's also about changing us. Because when we say things like, Our Father who art in heaven, we may not have a clue what that means. But what we're doing in some sense is is we're reminding ourselves about who God is. And sometimes, and I like to disabuse people of the notion that, that, that heaven means that God is up there, out there, away, disinterested. If you read the scripture when it talks about heaven, it's some other reality, but it's not off and away. It is, it is somehow um, a part of what's happening here and now. It's something that we know exists, but can't necessarily sense by sight or by touch. We know it by faith. And so, we remind ourselves that God is in heaven, but that God is present in, with, and under, in a sense, all the reality that we have. And then we pray, hallowed be thy name, or holy is your name. Um, 
back in the day when awesome was a word, um, we would say, awesome is your name. Might be, might be a way of saying that. You can begin to unpack this a little bit differently to, to help yourself understand. And what, you're, what we're doing is we're ascribing to God praise and honor to remind us who God is and who we are. And then we move to this, I think, very important phrase. Thy or your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Because most of the time, I'd rather pray, my kingdom come. Right? I want my kingdom to come. I want to build my kingdom. And so as Christians, when we pray this, you know, if you're just going through the motions, I mean, what you're saying is, you're saying, God, I want to set aside my kingdom for yours. I want you to show me where your kingdom is and how I can be a part of that here and now, and of course, when it comes in its fullness. Because we believe that the kingdom of heaven is available to us right here and now because of Jesus, because of his death and resurrection, that it's been inaugurated here and now, that he is the first fruits of that new kingdom in his resurrection, and that we are also witnessing to the kingdom that is to come. And so when we, when we pray this prayer, we are in a sense reminding ourselves to check what our motives are. Are we about our kingdom or are we about the kingdom of God? Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Not mine. Not mine. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Again, there's that heaven thing. I mean, for years and years and years and you know, for a long time and still in many, many denominations, it's like, oh, well, we're going to get your soul saved. We're going to get your soul saved and we're, gonna, and, you're, and we're just in a holding pattern here on earth in, until, until God basically gets rid of the earth and, and has a new thing. But that's not really biblical. It's not really biblical, this holding pattern that we're in, that, that somehow, well, well, you know, your, your, your soul is saved here on earth, and so it really doesn't matter what happens to the earth. Because that's the way that people used to think about it. Well, my soul was saved, and I'm just, I don't, you know, why, do I, why do I need to care about the trees or the dirt or, or the oceans or, or wildlife or whatever? God's just going to remake everything. God's just going to tear this all down and get rid of it and, and start all over again. But that's not really biblical. In Revelation, it says that, that God, when, when, when God is all in all, that the kingdom of God will be here on earth and God will make God's home with God's people just like God made God's home with God's people in Genesis. And that God will reconcile and reclaim and renew everything that is on the earth. Now, it says a new heaven and a new earth, but... It will be made new because of God's action. And so everything that we do here, thy will be done, your will be done on earth as in heaven, is that we are witnessing to the kingdom of heaven here on earth because we believe that Jesus has already started it rolling. Not that we're going to bring heaven to earth, but that we can witness to what we believe the kingdom of heaven is supposed to be like here on earth. Every act of love, Every act of, of generosity, every act of gratitude, every time we go outside of building our own kingdom 
to witness to God's kingdom, that's your will be done on earth as it already is in heaven. Just think about the power of that. If, we could, if, we, if every day we might live our lives in praying that prayer and begin to think, how am I witnessing to the kingdom of heaven here on earth? And then it gets real basic, I think. Give us this day what? Right, our daily bread. It's just a reminder that, not just, that's not a good word, it's a reminder that God is our provider. Everything that we are, everything that we have, has been given by God. That all the gifts and skills and experiences that we have, that we use then to, to, um, to work and to, and to earn money and to, so, that we can have bread, <laughs> so we can have bread on the table, those are all given by God. And that... And that when, when we have those things and we have that, that kind of perspective, it, it helps us to treat those things differently. Because we realize that we, we are not the owners, but that we are the stewards of everything. That everything we have and everything we are, that we, God has given to us for use in God's kingdom and so we are to use those things for God's glory and God's grace. And to just be reminded that, that we need our daily bread. But it's also a part to say our daily bread. That, that, we aren't, that we aren't freaking out and worrying about tomorrow's bread all the time. But that we're focused in the here and now and trusting that God provides right here and right now as well. Give us today our daily bread. I think it also reminds us that, that we ought to be a people that if we have an abundance of bread, that we ought to help make sure that other people have the sustenance that they need each and every day. That on some basic level, our job is to help make it so that people have food to eat. Forgive us our debts, or forgive us our sins, or forgive us our trespasses. There's all kinds of different ways of looking at that. It's the same word, just translated differently. I've got a biblical scholar sitting right in front of me here. I'm going to out him right now. This is one of my colleagues, Pastor Pete Smith, and he knows the, he knows the Hebrew and the Greek so much better than I do, so I'm not going to even try to explain any of that, um, because he'll have to school me later. But forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, that there, that there is a sense... Um, that there is a sense that, that, that we owe God. That we owe God. That there are things that we do that, that, that hurt God. And that because we know that we have been forgiven, we then forgive others. That we then forgive others. That because of the grace given to us, that, that all of our screw-ups, all of our mess-ups, all, all of the stuff that we do, all of the sin in the world does not keep us from having a relationship with God because God forgives us as we forgive those around us. Again, it goes back to that piece of gratitude and grace that as we have received, we want to give. And lead us not into temptation or lead us, or lead us not into the time of trial. That's an interesting sort of thing. Lead us not into the time of trial. Deliver us from the evil one. 
And then we add this tagline, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever, again, to remind us that it is God's kingdom, it is God's power, it is God's glory, not our own. And so in this life of of praying the Lord's Prayer, um, it really is a foundational piece where we can take that prayer and pray it every day. And if you just take one petition of it, I mean, if you just said over and over and over again for your prayer one day, our Father, hallowed be your name. Our Father, hallowed be your name. And you just begin to reflect on that. And what does that mean? I mean, that would be a way of forming your prayer life in a way that, that could begin to open up for you a connection to God. And then, you know, when that driver, um, when that driver cuts you off on the, on the interstate, you can say, your kingdom come, your will be done. <laughs> Because I'm tired of driving these cars. But to begin to lay that foundation, that prayer as a foundation, we are taught what Jesus' teachings are. We're reminded what Jesus was about. And then we are deepened in our connection with God. And then our lives can then become centered on God. And that's what we've been talking about. Centered on God. We started out with what must I do? And we talked about the Good Samaritan. We talked about last week, worried and distracted with Mary and Martha. And this week, we're talking about communicating with God through prayer. A life centered on God is a life of prayer. So may you, as you live your life of faith, May you find ways to incorporate the Lord's Prayer and prayer to God in every single day of your life. That God's kingdom might come. That our hearts might be changed. Our eyes might be opened to see what God is doing in the world. To receive the gift of Jesus Christ again and again and again in our lives. May you have your daily bread And if you have more than enough, may you share it with others. May you know that your debts, your sins, your trespasses have been forgiven. And may you forgive those who have done things to you that are hard to forgive. And may you not be led into the time of trial, but may you be delivered from evil. Amen.